Okay, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Time to welcome in Frank Dolce. He joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. It's no secret that Utah's in an extreme drought. That's why Smart Rain is a solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at smartrain.net. Frank, good morning. Hey, DJ. Hey, PK. Hello. Hope you guys are doing well. Oh, man, I've never been better in my life. Why is that? How is that? Uh, because I'm up. I'm alive. I'm healthy. The sun is shining. Uh, you think about it, Frank. Just go to a checklist. I'm talking gotcha. to you. Thought, That's probably right at the top. Well, yes. There you go. <laughs> I thought maybe you shot two under par yesterday or something. I don't know. I just, that, no, that would be pretty good. It would. The eternal quest for under par is uh, still ongoing. <laughs> Do you think you'll ever get there? Oh, that's a good question. You know, I've been at par. I think if I want to go under par, what I need to do is only play nine, not because I'm not capable, but because when I only play nine, it takes the Uh pressure off myself. I can't set a record for my greatest 18 because I'm a mental midget and I need to take the pressure off. So, yes, I've actually shot under par a time of one or two for nine, and I had to go. The one time... uh, Remember, gosh, we're going back 21 years. I was uh, playing Riverbend, and I was at par after nine. And as uh-huh. I'm going to hole 10, I got a call. Uh, Lavelle Edwards is announcing his retirement today at 1 o'clock. You need to be down at the stadium. And so I had to leave. I literally had to leave right then and there. And I was par after nine and go down. And about two weeks later, I said, Coach, I am rarely, I'm sitting in his office, I'm rarely even after 9. Why couldn't you have announced it like at 6 o'clock at night? Why would you have to do it at 1 o'clock? And, he, and of course, yeah. him with that laugh that he had. <laughs> 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 we all know it and loved it. <laughs> yes. Well, golf, golf will do that to you. You know, I, I'm reading a book, and I'm just going to pass it. You, pro- you may have already read it or heard about it, but it's about that part of the game because that's, that mental part of the game, it's like all of a sudden you're shooting par and then you talk yourself out of being able to shoot par for the Bing, rest of the bingo, round. Bingo, bingo, bingo. I don't know what happened. <laughs> yeah. I, it's called golf is not a game of perfect. And it talks about just that same, that thing, that mental side of the game. And it's not just ap- applicable to golf. I think probably a good life lesson as well. Anyway, Anyway, maybe we're maybe we're getting off topic. topic no, here. it's bringing us exactly to the topic of the week. The Utes are no longer perfect. They got pushed around, according to a coach, in the second half on defense. He can't even remember yeah. the last time that happened. The offense, yeah, at was Oregon, bad with you two, that, that, two turnovers that right away. A couple years ago, yeah, yeah. Uh, the bad. Well. The offense had the two turnovers right away and finished with uh, seventeen points, which isn't going to win very many football games either. But at the same time, USC and ASU have major coaching issues. So are you over the BYU game and now feeling confident about your Utes in the Pac-12 or you're dragged down by the thoughts of that game thinking, how can they possibly win the South and get to the conference title game? Oh, well, I think it's maybe uh, a, a little different than that. I'm not, I'm not dragged down about the BYU game at all. Uh, I mean, that was just Utah didn't play well. BYU played pretty well. And... Um, now Utah has an opportunity to go figure it out, and they really have to go figure it out. That, that the, the performance was lacking in areas that I think are critical. And, and so I know Coach talked about mental errors, and those are, you know, you could correct those mental errors, 
But the problem I saw is that they got pushed around at the line of scrimmage. Yeah. They, they couldn't get pressure on the quarterback. And they tried, you know, four-man rush a lot. They couldn't get pressure on the quarterback. And, the, you know, if they did, then they'd lost contain. And, and that just, I mean, the foundation of Utah football under Kyle Whittingham started with Coach McBride is right at the defensive line. It's right at the line of scrimmage. And if you're getting pushed around there, boy, you're, you're in trouble. And that, I think that's what we saw. Uh, we don't see it very often, but that's what we saw Saturday. And then on the offensive side, uh, I, I thought that same thing, just got pushed around at the line of scrimmage. I, saw, I swear I saw BYU run the same blitz that Weber State ran. They ran BYU ran it several, several times. It caused Brewer lots of problems, and it didn't look like Utah ever made an adjustment on that which was really odd to, to see. And, and so when you have a, a quarterback who's under pressure and a running game that's inconsistent and, you, you know, you're not sure if you can rely on your wide receivers and, and maybe you're not getting to the balls of the tight end enough, um, you're just going to have problems. I, I, I mean, I just thought they lost the game right at the line of scrimmage. Yeah, I don't think there's any question about that. I think from the offensive perspective, and that's what your specialty is, obviously, as the former quarterback, you can speak to that. Uh, a couple of things really did bother me. Uh, you know, that, that fourth and uh, two that I think, you know, might have been, who knows, could have made the difference, swayed in Utah's favor if they picked that up because then BYU goes down and, and gets a touchdown uh, on that. So that was a major swing. You can argue when they missed the extra point, but you can argue that was a 13-point swing. Uh, in that situation, you don't know what would have happened if they got the first down, but they were super close, and and plus they had a holding penalty that preceded that play. Yeah. Uh, but the thing that surprised me was the inability to pick up the blitz, and, and I'm wondering now going forward, I mean, all these coaches, San Diego State, they've got capable coaches. Everybody does. There's no question about that, I believe. Mm-hmm. And so they'll see that uh, from the quarterback perspective, I'm really intrigued to see how Brewer does when he has pressure because I have no doubt he'll pick you apart if he has time and his feet are set and he's in rhythm. He's plenty good enough to eat your defense alive if that's the case. But what will he do under pressure? That's the big thing for me that remains to be seen. It's what separates the great quarterbacks from – the guys like me who just talk about it on the radio. I mean, <laughs> you know, the, the guys that can manage pressure, the guys that can hit the curveball in, in, in Major League Baseball, I mean, it, it, it's, the, it's the separating factor. So lots of people, lots of quality athletes can stand in a pocket, no pressure, look around downfield, and eventually find someone open and make a, make a play. Um, but but guys that go on to great things do that same thing with no time, with someone hanging on their back, with pressure in their face, um, with a blocked view downfield. I mean, Peyton Manning could barely throw the ball 15 yards downfield. I'm not sure he ever threw a spiral in his life, but, but he just had the ability under all different circumstances to get the ball where it needed to be. And so that's going to be the thing for, for Brewer. I mean, I thought he had a good first week. He looked very mechanically sound. I think mechanically he was still fine on Saturday, but, but 
Um, and he didn't get much help up front. I mean, I, I'm not going to put it all on his shoulders. He didn't get much help up front, but he's going to have to make plays under pressure, and that will be the, the thing that separates him or doesn't separate him from the, from the rest. I think he's a quality quarterback, um, mechanically very good, and we'll just see if he can, if he can uh, make, that, make that transition. Um, it's the most important part of the football field. Uh, is that quarterback position. So he's going to have to perform extraordinarily well for this Utah team to succeed. This is a team that's just, I mean, they're going to have to score 30 points a game. I, I think that's that's going to be what they have to do. So there's a lot of adjustments when you change programs. And certainly PK's brought up the fact that Big 12 defenses aren't very good, so that's an adjustment, right? You're going to see better defenses but are the coaches going to help him out by playing double tight ends? Because he's going to have to learn pretty quickly to throw the ball to running backs and tight ends because the receivers drop first down passes and step out of bounds when there's nobody around him. <laughs> hey, well, and, first of and all, seriously, I mean, we laugh, but it's like he can't have any confidence in his receivers in the pocket yeah. when a veteran receiver stepped out of bounds, and I thought when they called it, I thought when I see a replay, is he going to be thrown out of bounds? There was nobody around him, and he stretched yeah. out his left leg to get out of bounds. It was, uh, yeah, you know, I'm mean, losing the words to describe the frustration level, but they've got tight ends who can catch it, so play two tight ends. Yeah, I, I, uh, I don't disagree with that. First of all, I would like to make the point that um, isn't BYU a, a Big 12 defense now? Uh, I like I mean, to think that, of them maybe as an NFC West defense. That's the thing. Okay. All right. Okay. Uh, that aside, uh, they still they they still have to find a guy on the outside. I mean, Britton Covey. I like Britton Covey a lot, but but um, but I, I don't think he's your. Well, maybe maybe he is. Maybe he is your guy on the outside that you that you throw the ball ten ten times a game. Um, maybe that's just what what it becomes, and they still have to, you know, where, what ha- where's their slot receivers outside of? I mean, I thought we had some talent there, and but we haven't we haven't seen those guys. Uh, I'm not. The truth is, I mean, I, I I think it would be nice for Utah to have a couple of guys on the outside. I don't think it's necessary for the for Utah to have a couple of guys on the outside to be successful as a team. I mean, this is something that we've seen Utah face years, years and years and years. They just, it seems like, you know, maybe they have a guy and maybe they just have a couple guys that are okay, but it never seems like they have a standout guy on the outside, maybe every few years, but they have, Utah has like an abundance at tight end. They have three tight ends who are all very, very capable Two of them, who I think are next level kind of kind of guys, and so I watched Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski. I mean, just tear apart NFL defenses. You're, they, those those tight ends create mismatch nightmares. So, absolutely, you know, get those guys the ball fifteen, twenty times a game. Why not? You know, use it until it until they stop it. The, the running backs are, I, I think there's a quality group of running backs. And the thing about these running backs is they seem to catch the ball well out of the backfield. So you utilize that. At one point, I think in the, in this uh, game against BYU, the tight ends and the running backs were the leading receivers. Maybe it ended up that way. So, so you have your, you have weapons and, and, 
And I, I think Utah will figure out the run game. I, I like Makai Bernard. Um, I like, I like both. I, I mean, I like, I like their choice of backs, but I think Bernard kind of separated himself uh, against BYU. So, I like in terms of skill position. I think that Utah has enough talent to be successful to win a lot of games. The the real core issue I have with that team though is right up front. Like two games in now, we've had two performances that I think have been average at best. And so until they get that part cleaned up, I mean it. it seems like it doesn't necessarily matter if you have Brewer or Rising or any of the quad running backs in the backfield or who you have running around on the outside. Um, get it cleaned up up front first, and I think the other pieces fall into place. So I'm talking to Britton Covey. He was made available uh, after Monday. They always have the offensive players, and that guy is just a gem to interview, obviously. Man, he could be a public speaker right now. And I asked him about, you know, do you can you compare this, even though it's not a conference game, compare this with that loss in 2019 when we were down in the Coliseum and uh, they threw over the top and some NFL receivers made some jump ball catches and the Utes lost to SC. And Kyle Whittingham said afterward, this doesn't detract from our goals. I don't think anybody's going to go undefeated in the South. No one actually has gone undefeated in the 10-plus uh, years that the conference yeah. has existed. Uh, and he said, well, we, we have a chance to accomplish our goals. And they did. They, they obviously won the next eight games, and they did win the South. And by asking Burton, you see some similarities. Not a conference game, but the emotion of playing BYU obviously is right there with, uh, in many cases, it supersedes conference opponents, but it's even, I think, they're playing SC. So can this be a reset? He said, yes, of course he's going to say yes. We understand that. What do you think? Well, I I said yesterday that I thought, um, you know, Utah should be sounding the alarms in the building after that game because this is a I, – I know – I realize it's only two games in and um, – I realize it's just one loss, but one loss turns into two losses pretty, pretty quickly. I, 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 you, you know, you know, <laughs> you know, Coach Featherstone, yeah. Um, yeah, and how great he was, and um, we we had come off an undefeated season at El Camino. Uh, we came into the next season, we lost. It was, I think, it was our second game of the year. We lost, and the uh, Monday following, it was like. Uh, captain's meeting, team. I mean, before we even got on the practice, captain's meeting, team meeting, uh, offensive meeting, defensive meeting, everything broken apart because we had to reset the, what that football team was all about. Like that, our goal was to win championships and to win championships, you have to win games and it's every, you know, you, you go out and you win every game. And so, when you lose, that sets off the alarm. And I feel like that has to happen with Utah a little bit. That's a team that, that um, I, I think maybe it's going too far to say they were unprepared, but they didn't look engaged in parts of that football game. And that's a rivalry game. I mean, that's the way that you're all, where you're always engaged. And so I think this is an excellent opportunity for a football team that seems to have a lot of talent to get refocused, and to use this opportunity as a wake-up call heading into their last non-conference game. Um, I, I mean, it looks like the South is 
a little bit in disarray, but, uh, I, you know, firing a head coach, sometimes that, that turns out to be a rallying cry and there's no more talented football team across the board than USC. And you're going down to play them in the Coliseum. So if you think USC is down and you're going to, you know, you're going to go into that thing the wrong way because that, that team can rise up and, and just beat anybody. They just have too much talent. They have so much talent on the field. So, um, and, and, and BYU, I, this, is, this is not a shot. I mean, I, I keep getting feedback on this. This is not a shot against BYU, but BYU is not the most difficult challenge that Utah is going to face this year. So I, I feel like this is, like you said, PK, this is a chance to reset, a chance for a wake-up call and to get things going back in the right direction. So <laughs> when you say it's not a shot, Frank, you know, immediately people just double down on it is a I, shot. I <laughs> you know, know how know. that works. But I know. the easiest I know. explanation for you fans, as far as the rest of the season, although it might, you know, hurt along the Wasatch front to have to admit it to friends and relatives and coworkers, is that BYU's really good and made Utah look that bad. A few of those mistakes are self-inflicted, but that is BYU is really good. Very few teams or programs are able to go up and blow Boise State off the field on the blue turf, and they did that a year ago. And, you know, we didn't have a lot of games to measure them against because they weren't playing Power 5 teams and teams we're familiar with and that we watch all the time, so it's easy to dismiss it. But their one loss is to a team that's still ranked and just beat a Big 12 school by, I don't know, three or four touchdowns. They dominated them. So maybe BYU's that good, and that's part of Utah's problem. Or you really want to double down on that engaged thing, and there's something wrong that's got to be fixed, because if you try to play football without emotion, you're going to get drilled. Well, I, 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 make no mistake. I'm not saying that BYU's a bad football team. It's a, that's a good matchup with, with Utah. Like, physically, athletically, I think that's a very, very good matchup. But that's not a, that's not a national championship team. Down south? No, it's I only mean, September. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you're absolutely right, PK. So, did did, uh, did Utah lose to a bad team? No, no. Did Utah lose to a beatable team? Yes. I mean, there's. I, the, the, if you want to take that as a shot, you can take that as a shot. But I, I just, I, I think that's, I think that's fairly objective, um, and. And and by the way, I'll say this about about that football team: Aaron Roderick did a fantastic job of having that team prepared and a game a winning game plan. I liked what he did on the offensive side. I liked the way he used Hall and and his running game and the, the weapons that he had available. Fantastic job, uh, terrific job coaching on the defensive side. The game plan, uh, pressuring the quarterback, keeping people contained. Um, I mean, I, I just thought they, they played that game really well. So, and I think, you know, coach, Whitt- coach Whittingham always says it after a loss. And, and I think it's, I think it's sincere. It's like, Hey, if we lose and it starts with the coach and we got out coach. And I think that's, there's probably some truth in that in, in this football game. Frank, we'll leave it right there and uh, let us know how it goes with Cougar fans over the next 24 hours. I'm, I'm really uh, excited to hear about the feedback you get from what <laughs> okay. you just said. I've, I will. I. I mean, look. I. 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 There's no animosity in that. So if they. If there's feedback, that's okay. I'll take it. I. I, I feel like I'm being fairly uh, objective and fair 
about those about those comments. So I will absolutely stand by it. And I just I do want to, want to once again um, congratulate Kalani. Kalani is um, salt of the earth. He's one of the best guys around. And as much as I hate Utah to lose and to lose that game in particular, good win for Kalani and, and for that football program. Frank Dolce, he's our Ute insider analyst for the Zone Sports Network. You hear him here every week, not only on this show, but on shows all across the station. Thanks, Frank. Thank you, guys. Great to talk to you. Have a great week. You know what's funny is that when Kyle says uh, he doesn't mention BYU, but to say Kalani, I love the guy, support the guy. Well, he takes heat for that, but yet so many Ute fans are saying the exact same thing. Right. Because <laughs> they don't like BYU, but yeah. they do like Kalani. Yeah. But I think so that wh- why if you're going to have fans jumping on Kyle for doing that when so many, everybody's doing it. Everybody is doing it, but, yeah. you know, Kyle's the guy. So. But it's natural. It, he doesn't want to lose to BYU, but you feel good for that guy because you like that guy. Yes. What do you expect be, him to say? It would be hypocritical to say anything else because everybody does like Kalani. For sure. Kalani makes everybody feel important, greets people by name, all that stuff. He's busy. He's the CEO of a football team. But he's got time for everybody. Right. All right. Dylan Cauley, former BYU wide receiver, is going to join us at 9 o'clock. Stay with us. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. James Empey. What happens in that locker room? You guys come off the field. Uh, kind of take us through. Do you sit and wait? Does Kalani come in? Like, who's addressed and how does that go? Coach addressed us, you know, talked about players that had a big game. We recognized all the coordinators, both A-Rod and E and Coach Lamb on special teams for their role and having us prepared and then just had a dance party and it was a good time. <laughs> <laughs> are you dancing or are you just kind of letting everybody else do their thing? We got to watch E dance and A Rod dance and all those guys. And uh, then I think we finished with the electric slide. So that was a, that was a blast. <laughs> there you go. You gotta feel it. It's electric. Hanson Scotting. Weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We are brought to you in part by Mark Miller Subaru. So, PK, in addition to college football, and we've talked a lot of college football this morning, the NFL has kicked off. The Monday night game was outrageously entertaining. I didn't watch it. Filled with tons of mistakes. The whole both thing. these teams going forward. But it was wildly entertaining as they turned the ball over back and forth in overtime. I don't know that I've seen an overtime where there were turnovers on consecutive possessions. We're at the one-yard line. We'll back up. We'll throw a pick. the Elias Sports Bureau, I guess. Yeah, there it is. Sunday in primetime, the Rams beat the Bears. Anything catch your eye in that game, he says, knowing full well something did catch your eye in that game. Matthew Stafford looked really good, but at the game was Dwayne Wade. He lives in Los Angeles, and Dwayne Wade was pictured wearing a jazz uniform shorts. He had the old ones that uh, the purple UJ with the mountain logo on mm-hmm. the side that they used to wear. What in the nineties? I can always I, I always picture them. They wore them in the finals, wearing that yeah. uniform. Yeah, they wore them in the finals. And there he and is. They brought him back. They've worn them since then too. But so he was in a in a uh, luxury box, obviously, uh, of course, with uh, M Shadows, who you know is the lead singer of the band Avenged Sevenfold, and entrepreneur JJ Jones, but. 
Dwayne Wade just can't get enough of the jazz. And I think that if you're serious about wanting to be involved in the jazz, you should have jazz gear on. (laughs) PK's wearing a hoodie. Christmas party hoodie. (laughs) Yeah. I guess I'm serious about the Pac-12 network. Is that what I'm serious about? Yeah. Yeah. The jazz? Yeah. I I have a jazz hoodie on right now because it's an icebox here. DJ's a company man. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Got the 1280 The Zone logo. Yeah, but I take it higher. You do, PK. You always do. How about this? Dwayne Wade is not some guy who's just put some money in. This. I'm surprised. Maybe I shouldn't have been. Maybe it's on me. To the level of his commitment now. This guy's... How often you're seeing him at games. Yeah. How much you see him wearing gear when he's elsewhere doing whatever else he's doing. In this case, watching a football game. Yeah, sure. Yeah. First game with fans at the new stadium there. Sci-Fi, I think they call it. Or SoFi. SoFi. And uh, over there in Inglewood. And yeah. It seems like everywhere he shows up, there's a connection to the Jazz. This doesn't seem like a casual partnership. Maybe I'm wrong there. But it seems like... He's involved, and that can't hurt. I don't know to what degree it helps, but minimally it can't hurt. And there's going to be more than it just minimally it can't hurt. This is a positive. This is a major positive. I'm, I'm very surprised. And we had Joe Ingles talking last year that he was always around. He was always there. He told us that on our show. And Joe's already locked up for next this coming season. Good. Yeah, Joe. Joe's sunrises, sunsets. You can count on it. Yeah. It used to be in the before times uh, that the media and a large chunk of the fan base would be in that circle on the ground floor. And so you would see people coming and going. Now, trying to keep the players separate from the public, making sure the players are healthy and players are available for all the games, there's way less traffic down there. There's just a handful of people, all club approved, down on that level. So we don't really have a sense of how much he's around. So when Joe told us on the on the air, you know, all, all we would know is if you see him at a game or the cameras catch him at a game, then you know. But even that doesn't tell you how much he's around the team and the players. But it turns out it's quite a bit. Yeah. I think the thing that matters for the long run here. Because sometimes you see athletes buy in and then sell out as kind of a short-run deal. But he's always sitting with Ryan Smith, and they kind of indicated in that first one, they didn't really spell it out, but there were going to be other projects that they were going to work on together. Entrepreneurial, starting companies, building relationships, whatever they're doing. So I think the fact that that relationship, not that I know much about it because they don't, but just a little bit I've heard about it makes me think, well, they got multiple irons in the fire here. And so that builds a stronger relationship and probably can lead to more buy-in with the one most people care about, which is the Jazz. Because that's not the only thing they're partnered on. Right. This is what we care about. Right. We care about the team winning. Britton Covey cares about the team winning. Yeah. Britton. He said that yesterday. Britton Covey. Well, he brought up the Jazz. Oh, I thought you meant his team winning. Right? No, no. Well, yeah. I mean the but Jazz, the jazz, jazz winning. Yeah, but he's he's a local guy. He's a Tim View High guy, so I'm not I'm not surprised by but that. But he brought it up yesterday. The timing would be a little surprising. I'll give you that. We'll hear from Britton Covey 
Coming up next, Britton Covey on the way, and then Dylan Cauley at 9.05. PK talking with Britton yesterday. We'll play that for you next. Stay with us. The Big Show. The Big Show. With Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. Former BYU quarterback Tanner Mangum. Want to get your thoughts on the quarterback play from Jaron Hall? Certainly made a bunch of big plays. Jaron had the game of his life. Maybe statistically it wasn't monstrous, but the way he played was exactly what BYU needed. He does such a good job of not relying too heavily on his running ability. He obviously has it, but he doesn't get happy feet. He mixes it in right when it's needed most. And I thought he did that really well on Saturday. That play towards the end of the game where he stayed in the pocket, waited, waited, scrambled a little bit, created time, and then hit Hill down to the goal line. That play right there kind of epitomized his skill set, his throwing ability, but also his ability to extend plays. It was huge. Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7. Presented by Big O' Tires. The team you trust. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. A reminder, Lendride Mortgage will be live with DJ and PK Friday morning to help you get the lowest rates on your new mortgage or refinance. Listen Friday morning. Visit LendrideMortgage.com for more information. All right, PK, you were up at Ute yesterday. I went up for uh, Kyle's press conference at 11. You went up for the Ute players at 5 o'clock, and you talked with Britton Covey. We're about to listen to that before we jump in. One big takeaway, one thing you're listening for here. Uh, Leadership matters at this time. All right, here is PK with Britton Covey. It's, it's so easy to be a leader when things are going great. I don't even know if that is leadership because everybody's kind of leading themselves at that point. So when things are going really hard and things are rough, that leadership is really important. So I've talked with some of the leaders about this. The most important thing that we can do is, um, in my opinion, is take ownership of what you control. It's so easy to put the blame on other things. You know, I, I'm sure, like... Uh, players want to put the blame on coaches. Coaches want to put the blame on players. I mean, if you go on social media, you'll see people calling for Coach Witt's job and <laughs> and things like that. And it, it's just so easy to get wrapped up in whose fault it is and things. And, and it's all about just taking ownership because um, that gives that I don't know. It brings a sense of freedom to you. It's like I control this. I don't control a lot of what's outside of me. Right? Circle of influence, circle of control. Uh, so for me right now, it's talking to the position group leaders and saying you need to talk to your position group to take ownership because um, you know I'm not going to have the biggest effect on the linebacker group but Devin Lloyd will I'm not going to have the biggest effect on the DBs but uh, Vontae Davis will so I'm going to talk to them and say let's get together as your groups and take ownership of this and like I said somber today really somber in the facility you know we got humbled um, which I think is good but, man, you don't want that to last for more than a day, in my opinion. I, I just don't think that that's good for a team. You've got to get your swagger back. You've got to be happy. You've got to come to work, you know, excited. And, and so I think that's what I'm going to try and do. Can you relate it to 2019? It was, it was a conference game, but it was still early in the year. You lost that first game, and there was a lot of frustration in the post-game interviews and doing, when we were doing all that. And Coach Whittingham said, well, everything is still in front of us. We can win the next game, the next eight games, and you did. Yeah, well, it, anyone that says that you won't lose in life is just lying. You're going to lose. It's not a matter of you know if, but it's when. And it's all about just, you know, it's so... Um, what's the word cliche it's so cliche but it all it's all about how you respond especially a loss early in the season a loss in mid-season 
I don't think is as disappointed as, as a loss early in the season because you go into the season not thinking you're going to lose a single game, right? Such high expectations. You lose one early to your rival, and it's just devastating. But then you realize that doesn't affect a single thing in our conference play. Our goal is still to win the Pac-12 championship, go to the Rose Bowl, things like that. And that's where the leadership comes in, I think. It's very similar to 2019. You saw what that team did, right? Mm -hmm. So it's so easy as a fan. I mean, I know this because I'm a Jazz fan, right? It's so easy to overreact to certain (laughs) things in certain games. Um, But you got to simplify things and say, okay, where can we improve? you watch the film and there were certain things where it's just so obvious that that's why it didn't work it was just one thing and Mm so simplifying things I think that 2019 cast had a great group of leaders but do you make sure though that you don't try to do too much like in your case you know if the offense is sputtering on Saturday and you get a punt but it doesn't set up for a good return. You got to make sure that you're still doing the right thing. Yes, absolutely. And it's hard to. I think sometimes you want to, you know, I want to take every punt yeah, and not yeah, call yeah. fair catches yeah. and things like that. But that's where it goes back to, okay, you have to trust people who do things that aren't your your position, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It's all about taking ownership of your job and trusting the guys in their job. And it's hard to do that. It's kind of like delegating, right? It's really hard to delegate certain things, but it's... At the end of the day, the best leaders do that. You talked about being somber, and to a certain degree, that's healthy. Right. But you can't be somber too long. How would you evaluate the duration of the somberness now? And now you still right. got, uh, you know, you got to get get past it. Right. Well, I was telling Jeff, um, everybody, you know, the saying that everybody grieves differently or mourns differently. I think that's true. But for the sake of respecting a lot of the competitors in the building. I think that we make it a rule that everybody has to come in and have that demeanor. Because if I come in and I see two players joking around, I freak out at them. You know, I got mad at a couple younger guys today because they were joking around before the lift. Um, just as a thing of respect to the competitors in the room, that it still just hurts, you know. Uh, but man, you do not want that to carry over, especially early in the season. You can't have that carry over. That's why I said you can't overreact. You can't have that carry over. I'm going to come in tomorrow and be goofy Brit. I'm going to be excited. I'm going to go in, get in a fight during practice. You know, I don't know what I'm going to do, but it just, you got to come in and, because we had swagger and you lose it for a weekend, but man, you bring it back and that's up to you. It's, you know, don't rely on someone else to bring it back. Is that swagger easily lost and is it easily to get back? How does that work? It's easily lost. It's difficult to get back. I think just realistically, Uh, that's why you need multiple people to do it. And uh, you need your, your leaders to do it. You need Devin Lloyd to come out with that swagger. You need to have a bounce-back game where you bring that swagger back. I mean, you see it, I think, every week in college football where <laughs> if we have a great game this weekend, you know, next week, it's just like that comes back. You, you know, it's all about... Yeah, like Stanford did. Uh, yeah, like Stanford. Think of Stanford after last game. I'm sure all their fans were calling for coach Shaw to be fired or whatever like yeah, that. that's yeah. just the reality of sports nowadays uh, but now my best friend Gabe plays for Stanford and everybody's like this is our year right <laughs> so that's just kind of how it is and yeah. you got to roll with the punches never too high never too low and know where your value lies know that this team is good bring that swagger and yeah. did, you, did you hear that Clay Hilton got fired I did hear that like maybe I, that opens it up even more in the south in anybody's yeah, game well I mean I was surprising I didn't even no, that would that could happen that early in the season. I talked to Clay at Pac-12 Media Day. He's a great guy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, 
I have no idea what impact that would have on a team. You know, if Coach Witt got fired, that would be a big thing, you know, so early on. So, you know, a feel for him, that's tough. I'm curious, kind of an open-ended question, but what was your biggest takeaway from the game this weekend? Um, oof. I've been so disappointed that it's been hard to take much away until today, I would say. I would say my biggest takeaway is that it's similar to 2019's loss at USC, where it opens our eyes to a couple things that we can do better, that I think we need to do better if we're going to be a great team. And uh, we'll see how we implement that this week going into practice. Uh, it, honestly, credit to BYU. They, they were very well prepared. Uh, they played an amazing game. Um, but it just opens our eyes to a few things that I think we need to do better. There's Britton Covey. He sucks as an interview. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing close to that. I'm going to miss that kid. He is money. Yeah. Oh, man. It irritates everybody to have, whenever your team has success, and this is mostly a BYU thing, although in this case it's a Utah thing, you know, the whole 24-year-old men against our 18-year-old boys, like you're only starting true freshmen. Stop it. But... His maturity at this point, he's 24, or I don't know, maybe he's 25 now, whatever. 32. He's not 32. He's 24. The rules allow it, so what's the difference? I I I know, I know. But but you can just hear the maturity in his voice, and it's just, that's got to be a bonus. Now, will they turn that? It's an advantage, but will they capitalize on it remains to be seen. But his perspective on leadership, and that just echoes Kyle, because Kyle referenced leadership in his press conference, they've clearly been talking about it. Like, leadership when you're winning, that's easy. <laughs> it's like, this is when it really matters. This is when it's hard and when it really pays off. It's harder to turn things around than it is to keep things rolling. And keeping things rolling isn't an automatic. It still has to be done. Winning can go to your head and you can get a little loose with the details and all that stuff. Right. I agree with you. You can get yeah. fat and happy, but it's harder turn the ship around when it's sailing in the wrong direction. I agree with you. Uh, you know, in, in 2019, I think the difference is they had so much talent and so many great leaders on that team that I don't want to say it was easy because it wasn't, but it was easier to see them doing it than right now. But at the same time, I think they've got enough leadership, uh, maybe not as much as they had before or talent as they had before. But it seems like for 15 years... Every time, you know who is backed in a corner, (laughs) Mr. Softy, when he is down, he manages to come out and just be like a freaking roaring lion. Come out swinging, baby. So many times. So I'm not going to count him out. It's like LeBron. I'm not counting him out until he gets his fourth loss. Is this enough? Is this is what enough? The loss to BYU. It was humbling. That's the word Britton just used, and he's right. It was humbling. But are they really backed in a corner? Because to your point, no, no, you're I, right I that it's, so. not, no, I, no. it's not a conference game. No. And they really well, want to. going to lose at some point. They you really want to lose. They really want to win the conference. Yeah. And they're still 0-0 zero and zero in the conference no matter what happens in Provo. Turns out they lost. You get Charlie Brewer. Did he really understand the nature of the rivalry? I mean, just the, these guys are coming in. They're imports. They're coming in for uh, a few months. Yeah. And it reminds me of the Warriors. Remember when we were saying the Warriors, are they going to win the next 10 titles? But something was going to happen. We just didn't know what. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing with BYU and Utah. It's hard to beat a team 10 times in a row. 
DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Dylan Cauley, former BYU wide receiver, joins us next. Stay with us.